Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. In front of you, if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible and keep it as a gift from Jacobswell. Well, today we come to the end of the book of Romans. Uh, the book that some say is the most important letter in the history of the world. Or the most important book of the entire Bible. It's been a pleasure to go with it, go through it with you. Uh, and to dig into the depths of Romans, uh, at least to a degree. Uh, if you remember from the beginning of this series, I talked about how Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 13 years on the book of Romans and didn't even make it all the way through. Uh, John Piper spent six years on it. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce spent five years on it. We did it in nine months. And so I don't say that to brag, but to say uh, we have been drinking from the fire hose and there's a lot more depth than even what we've gotten into. And so I hope this was a good primer for you to dig deeper into the book of Romans and see the good news of the gospel for us and for our world. Uh, in preaching class in seminary, we were told that the way that we should end a sermon uh, is, is, is to accomplish two things in the final statements of the sermon. The first is to summarize everything we talked about in a few words, but also to leave people with a final thought, that final thing we want the audience to remember. And Paul accomplishes that today with a doxology. A doxology uh, comes from two words, doxa, which means glory, and logia, which means uh, saying. And so it's a glorying saying in which we are giving glory to God. Now, if you're wondering, a, a benediction is, is God's blessing on us, but a doxology is our blessing and praise of the glory of God. And that's what Paul does here today. And so we're going to read verses 25 through 27 today here in, in Romans 16. And I want to do this just a little bit differently. Uh, I'm going to read 25 and 26 as is customary, as you're used to. But if you could help me, and let's read together verse 27 as a praise to God. Um, so as we end this great book of Romans, could you, if you're able, stand with me and uh, let's read God's word together and celebrate just this gift of the book of Romans. So I'll read verse 25 and 26, and if you would join me in verse 27. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. Together, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are a God worth praising. 
that you are a glorious God, that you are a magnificent God, a majestic God, a awesome God, a loving God, a tender God, a caring God. You could be so different than that, but you are good. You are good to us, and you are good to your plans, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In first studying this passage, there was one phrase in here that just jumped off the page at me. It's midway through verse 25. Paul says, my gospel, and it feels a little bit arrogant, but as I meditated on it, what I concluded is that Paul is not saying that the gospel belongs to him, like we would say, my car or my pencil or my Bible, like it belongs to me, but that he belongs to it. Like we would say, my country or my church or my country club, right? You belong to it. It does not belong to you. And so Paul says, this is my gospel, claiming that this gospel not just belongs to him, but that, that again, he belongs to this gospel. Now, this word gospel is a word that we use a lot, and it comes from two words, good, which means good, and spell, which means news or story. And so a gospel is good news. Now, here's the thing is that everybody, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, has a gospel that you belong to. Everyone has a gospel. Everyone has that good news that they think will bring satisfaction and, and enjoyment and fulfillment to their lives. You know, it's funny because infomercials bank on the fact that everyone chases after gospels. I don't, I don't know if you've seen an infomercial. I think most of us have. But the general outline of an infomercial is like this. First, they, they tell you about the product, what it does, right? And then they tell you about how horrible life is without that product. Okay? And then they show this gospel of how this product brings joy and satisfaction to your life. So, for example, I was watching this infomercial on this thing called the Magic Tap. Okay? The Magic Tap, uh, they explain it. Basically, you hook it up to a milk jug or to a soda bottle or to some other container of liquid. And when you put your cup up to it, it dispenses the liquid into your cup. All right? And then it cuts to black and white. It always cuts to black and white when it wants to show you how awful life is without this product. All right? So literally, there's this, there's this elderly woman, and she's taking milk out of the refrigerator to put it onto the island that's right next to her. And she picks it up, and she goes, oh, and she puts it down, right? Oh, how horrible it is. And then it, and then it has two more scenes, both with kids. One is a kid trying to pour milk into a cereal bowl. The other is trying to pour milk into his glass. And they're just like pouring it all over the island. They're, like they're not even trying. And you can tell they're enjoying it. They're thinking, I'm getting paid for this? Like this is amazing, all right? But that's in black and white. But then it cuts to color. And in color, you see these people smiling and happy and frolicking, pumping soda and milk and juice and water into their cup and drinking and delighting. It's the gospel of the magic tap, right? Every, every infomercial is a gospel presentation. Almost every commercial on TV is a gospel presentation. You know, we chase after gospels so easily, we chase after these to satisfy the longings of our heart. Things that we think will give us purpose in life. You know, there are some common gospels that people chase after in our society that I think all of us are prone to chase after. Like the gospel of romance. 
If I just find that one person, everything in the world will be right again, right? Or if my spouse would become that one person I wanted, everything in the world would be right again. Or the gospel of children. You know, if I have kids, life will be right. Life will be good. Life will be perfect. There's the gospel of achievement. You know, if I, if I get these grades or I, I get this level of success in my job, then things will be okay. Finally, things will be okay. And then there's the gospel of comfort, maybe the greatest gospel there is in America. You know, if I can rid myself of pain, if I can buy these items or those items, if I can have this house or that lake house, if I can have this much in savings, if I can retire early, if I can do all of these things, then life will be good. Then life will be okay. Then I will be satisfied. You see, the gospel that we have is the gospel that we chase to try to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And so what is the gospel that you are prone to chase after? What is that thing that you say, if I only had this, then life would be so much better? Or do you say, as long as I don't lose this, then I will be happy with my life? Friends, there are millions of gospels out there. But God offers us the best gospel. And this is the gospel that Paul tells us today. It's a gospel that, that not only belongs to Paul, but it belongs to God. Not in that God is under this gospel, but that God is over this gospel, that he is the owner of this gospel because he created this gospel and is the accomplisher of this gospel. And so today, what Paul is trying to tell you and tell me, to remind our hearts, is that this is the greatest gospel. And so every morning when we wake, every morning we go to chase a gospel, Paul is saying, chase this gospel. Because this is the only gospel that will satisfy. Today we see the gospel of God is the best gospel because it is God's mystery revealed. Because it's God's instrument of power and because it is to God's glory through Jesus Christ. And so those are the three things we're going to look at today. First off, you and I must make God's gospel our gospel because it is God's mystery revealed. Look at verse 25 with me. Paul starts by saying, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then I want to focus on this next phrase here. He says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Now, what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? What has been kept secret for long ages? Well, Paul tells you in the first half, it is what he says, my gospel. It is God's gospel, the good news for humanity. This is the mystery. And then at the end of verse 25, it says that this gospel is the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Now, I don't like to say this often, but I think this translation misleads us. This term, long ages, is actually translated time without beginning, eternal. As a matter of fact, later when it describes God in verse 26, it calls him the eternal God. It's the exact same word in Greek as used here. And so he is saying this is an eternal gospel. This means that this gospel plan of God was not plan B. It's not like God put Adam and Eve in the garden and prayed to himself, oh, I hope this works out, oh, I hope this works out, oh, I hope they don't mess up. Oh, no, they messed up. What am I going to do now? How am I going to save some humanity? What am I going to do? The gospel was always God's plan A. The gospel was God's plan from eternity past. And while it was always clearly known to God, 
it was not always clear to humanity. And that's why Paul says it was a mystery, a hidden thing, a concealed thing that was kept secret. Now Paul continues in verse 26, and he says, but has now, this mystery of the gospel, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. This eternal mystery has now been disclosed, Paul said, by an eternal God. And so how was this mystery now disclosed? Well, it has been disclosed because the word of God, the gospel of God, the good news of God became a person. John 1, 14 says, and the word became flesh. Think about that. That is, it's mind-bending. The word of God, the gospel of God, <laughs> became a person and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to come back in a little bit to this disclosure, this now being disclosed through Jesus. But I want to focus on this other part. Verse 26 again, but has now, again, the, the word become flesh has now been disclosed. And then he kind of works backwards. He says, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. What Paul is saying is that the Old Testament prophets and prophecies of God were revealing the gospel of God by pointing to Christ's coming. If you would just, we're going to flip through Romans a little bit. If you would flip back to Romans chapter 1. Keep your finger in Romans 16. Flip back to Romans 1, verse 1. And you can see this is how Paul actually opens the letter telling us about the prophetic uh, speakings of the gospel. Hints of the gospel. Romans 1, 1 through 4. We read, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is that gospel? Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what Paul is telling us is that throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly proclaiming the gospel. He is revealing this mystery. He's like slowly pulling the curtain back so that we can see the beauty of this gospel, which is fully disclosed at the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, we looked at this a little bit last week. When Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned against God, when they ruined their relationship with God, God comes right away and makes the first proclamation of the gospel. And it's fuzzy and it's not crystal clear, but he says to the serpent, I will send a seed of the woman who is Jesus to come and crush your head. And then we move forward a little bit and God is kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. And they have clothed themselves in fig leaves and God says, no, that will not do. And for the first time in all of the history of the world, God makes a sacrifice of an animal, a blood sacrifice, and he takes the fur of that blood sacrifice to cover the sin and the shame of the man and of the woman before he sends them out of the garden. Now God doesn't do this because fur is warmer than fig leaves. God does this as a, as a picture of the gospel to come, that another blood sacrifice will come to cover our sin and to cover our shame. 
Well, you continue throughout the Bible and you get to the flood uh, in Noah's time. The world is exceedingly evil. God wants to revamp the earth to cleanse it of sin. So he, so he purifies it through this flood, but he preserves Noah and his family. And then God sends a rainbow, a, a war bow, pointed not down at earth, but pointed up into the heart of heaven, aimed towards God. And then we continue and we get to Abraham. And in Abraham, God says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he makes a covenant with Abraham. And if you remember how it goes, he divides some animals because this is the consequence for breaking the covenant, that you would, be, that you would die. But God puts Abraham to sleep, and God walks through those pieces by himself to say, listen, if I break this covenant, or if you break this covenant, let this happen to me. And that's exactly what happened to him at the cross. Now, that's just the first 15 chapters of the Bible. And it's all proclaiming. It's all pulling back the curtain to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God exposes this good news through the Old Testament prophets, but then fully reveals it through the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, occasionally Trish and I like to watch those HGTV channel shows where they fix up old houses, and one of the ones that we enjoy is the show Fixer Upper. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Uh, no longer are they producing new shows, but there's a billion reruns, so I'm sure we'll be watching it for many years to come. But as the show goes, basically they, they show these potential clients different houses that they could purchase, and then a client purchases a house. And then they show everything that's wrong with the house. And so they walk through it and like, you know, the, the walls are, are yellow, there's mold, there's, there's all this nasty stuff. Sometimes there's animal feces, things are broken, it's outdated. It's just, it's a horrible situation. And so Joanna, the wife, will come and she'll kind of say, hey, I'm picturing that we're going to do this with, we're going to take out this wall. And, you know, and then she draws like some pictures to kind of give them a picture. She's, she's, she's slowly revealing the restoration that she has in mind. Well, once it's agreed to and they're starting off, then Chip, her husband, goes to work and he's breaking down walls and, you know, he's, he's landscaping the front yard. He's putting in new appliances, new cabinets, and then shiplap and shiplap and more shiplap, if you've ever seen the show. Plenty of shiplap to go around. But then comes the big reveal at the end. And so the couple stands in front of the house and they have these two big, uh, tarps, I guess you would call them, and painted on these two tarps is, is what the old house used to look like. And so they'll pull back these tarps on wheels and they get to see their new house and they, they're so excited, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And they're crying and they're hugging and they're laughing and they're getting like, this is amazing. And that's how it always goes. But the reveal isn't yet complete. They haven't gone in the house yet. So they go in the house and they see how everything is remodeled. And, and what they're seeing is they're seeing the full culmination of the restoration of this house. Friends, we as humanity have not only desecrated the world we live in, we have contaminated our hearts and we have destroyed our relationship with God. We have filled these things not only with sin, but with death and decay. And for those reasons, every man, woman, and child is searching for a gospel every moment of their life. And I know this may sound cheesy, but God is the ultimate fixer-upper. God the Father has created a master plan for the restoration of the world. And he shows it in part throughout the Old Testament. He's pulling back the curtain. But then it comes in full with the coming of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes, 
there is the big reveal. When Christ suffers and dies on the cross for our sin, and the curtain of the temple is torn into that curtain that separated God from man, and on the third day when he rose from the dead, the reveal happened. God's plan of restoration, God's gospel was fully disclosed. God's gospel was planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and is applied to the Holy Spirit. You and I must make God's gospel our gospel because it is the mystery of God revealed for the redemption and restoration for you, for me, and for the entire universe. We also must make God's gospel our gospel because it is God's instrument of power. If you remember Romans 1.16, kind of the, the champion verse of the book of Romans, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is the summary statement of Romans. Really, the rest of Romans is just teasing this out, how the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Paul echoes it here in verse 25, the first half of verse 25 and the last part of verse 26. Verse 25, he says, Now to him, the Trinitarian God, who is able to strengthen you. This word strengthen in the Greek is dunamis, the same one back in Romans 1.16, which is power. It's, it's the word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from, okay? So it's power. So he's saying, so by this gospel, God can power you. And then verse 25, he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now, as we've gone through the book of Romans, what we have discovered time and again is that salvation is not a single one-time uh, occasion, but it is an ongoing renovation that God is doing. Salvation is both past, present, and future for all those who are in Christ. Salvation is past in our justification, it's present in our sanctification, and it's future in our glorification. And what Paul is telling us here is that God's power is enacting all of these things. And so I quickly want to walk through them with you. First, the gospel is God's power for your justification. To be justified is to be declared righteous. So for example, this past week there was a shooting in Oshkosh. A police officer shot a person. And they're immediately put on administrative leave. That's just how it goes. And the reason why they do this is because they want to see if the shooting was justified, right? If it was righteous, if it was according to the law, according to protocol. Did he obey the law in, in shooting this person? Now, when you apply this word justified in our relationship with God, the question we come to is, are we righteous before God? Have we perfectly obeyed God's law? And the overwhelming answer is no, we are not righteous in and of ourselves. And so the question is, how can we become justified, declared righteous before God by the power of God? We'll flip to Romans chapter 3. Like I said, we'll be skipping through Romans a little bit today. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so God's perfect law doesn't show us, hey, we can obey this to be saved, but says, you can never be obedient enough to be saved. 
Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That sounds like our first main point, doesn't it? The law and the prophets point to another righteousness that is available to us. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Not by the law, but but by grace through faith. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfaction for the penalty of our sin by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. So not only is God just in punishing sin, but he is justifier in that he receives that punishment for sin at the cross. Verse uh, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Friends, if you want to be justified, if you want to be righteous before God, don't work harder. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive righteousness by grace, not by efforts, so that you can be justified before God. The gospel is the power of God for your justification. It's also the power of God for your sanctification. I think this one is harder for us to to grasp. Justification is a declaration of your righteousness, but sanctification is a process of Becoming righteous in Jesus Christ. It's, it's the process of becoming who you already are in Jesus. In Jesus, you are declared righteous. In sanctification, you're just becoming yourself because you are righteous in Jesus. Verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I love this. Paul is trying to communicate the power of God. And he doesn't communicate the power of God by talking about how how God rotates the earth to make the sun rise and and then to set. He doesn't talk about the power of God through thunderstorms or the power of God by creating the entire universe. If you want to know how powerful God is, God is so powerful that he can actually empower you, your stubborn, wicked heart. That's how powerful God is. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that God can strengthen you, little old rebellious you, according to my gospel. Let the majesty of this dwell in you, that that, that God's power strengthens you according to the gospel. For what purpose? The end of verse 26. Paul says, to bring about the obedience of faith. We are not saved by our obedience, but saving faith always produces obedience to God's will, to God's word, to God's ways. It's called fruit, fruit of the Spirit. And our only hope of obedience is for God to strengthen us because to bring obedience to our stubborn hearts is is maybe the greatest display of God's power in the entire universe. God empowers our sanctification by his gospel. If you would, flip to Romans 6 for this. Again, I'd like to read all of Romans 6, but I don't have time to do that. But Romans 6, verse 10. 
And notice how Christ's death and resurrection is so vital to our sanctification. He says, for the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lived to God. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is good news. We are now dead to sin. We are dead to self-destroying, relationship-killing, joy-butchering sin. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Skip down to verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to, there's the word, sanctification and its end, eternal life. What Romans 6 teaches us is that if we want to pursue holiness as God calls us to, we don't do it by our own strength or by our own power, but by surrendering to the power of another, to Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is God's instrument of power for our justification, for our sanctification, finally for our glorifications. Stay there in Romans 6, verse 23. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life, like I've said before, is both a quantity and a quality. The, the quantity is eternal, forever, without end. And the quality is life and not death. Romans 8, if you want to flip over there, verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory, the splendor, the majesty that is to be revealed to us. Verse 30 in Romans 8, this future glory is promised to all who are justified by Christ. Second half says, and those whom God called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God's gospel power has no shelf life. It is his instrument of power for your justification, for your sanctification, and for your eternal glorification. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Zs of the Christian life. Growing up, I was in Cub Scouts, and um, I went away for this week camp and one of the merit badges you could earn was a swimming merit badge. And they put two canoes in a lake with a rope between it. And you had to swim around these canoes uh, for a mile to get the merit badge. Well, I didn't even think about doing it because I was a horrible swimmer. I knew I couldn't do it. But my counselor kind of encouraged me, hey, Dan, why don't, you, why don't you go for that swimming merit badge? I'm like, there's no way I can complete this. No way at all. Like, I, I probably can't make it one lap around. And he said, well, hey, I'll, I'll help you out. I'm like, Okay, we'll try it. So, so, so dove in the water, and literally one lap around, I was done. I'm like, I'm done. I'm sorry. I, I'm over. This is the most that I have. And he said, hey, just, just hold on to my swimsuit, like right there. Just put two fingers there. So I put two fingers in his swimsuit. He was a high school swimmer, so swimming was no big deal. So for the rest of this mile, he swam around these canoes, pulling me in, and we got to the finish line. We got to the end, and I got a merit badge out of it. 
See, it wasn't, it wasn't my power, but it was the power of another that got me from beginning to the end. Now, in Cub Scouts, that's called cheating, okay? But in Christianity, that's called grace. That's the gospel of grace. If you want to be justified, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be glorified, cling to Jesus. Trust not in your own power, but in the power of another. You and I must make God's gospel our gospel every day because it is the mystery of God revealed for our redemption and restoration and because it is the gospel of God's power for our justification, sanctification, and glorification. Finally, we must make God's gospel our gospel because it is to God's glory through Jesus Christ. Paul ends this great theological masterpiece with what is really the end goal of everything in life. Verse 27, he says, To the only, or the alone, wise God, be glory forevermore. Again, this verse is the culmination of this great book because it is the culmination of all things, which is the glory of God. You exist for the glory of God. God's glory is to be our supreme passion because our God is the only true God. There is no other God beside him. I know we live in a culture that says all gods are equal, all gods are the same. We cannot agree to that if we subscribe to scripture. In Isaiah 46, 9, the Lord says, I am God. And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. First Corinthians, Paul says this. For some reason, I forgot this passage was in the Bible. It was new to me. Paul says this in First Corinthians 8. He says, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. Friends, there is only one God, and he does not share his throne with any other. He is the one who is responsible for all the good blessings in our life, and because he is God and God alone, for that reason alone, he deserves all of the glory. But Paul also says here that he is the only wise God. When you look at creation and, 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 the, and the food cycles and the weather patterns and how, how the, again, we think about the universe and how all the planets are spaced out and gravity is used to keep them in orbit, like how wise do you have to be to do that? Or, or when you consider the human brain that it's able to think and it's able to, to love and it's able to, to reason, like how wise does the creator of that have to be? And of course, the greatest display of God's wisdom is his gospel. You see, every other gospel is a gospel created by man, a gospel of good works, of what you can do for God to earn his love. But God's gospel is unlike every other gospel in that it's not what we do for God, but what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only wise God, and for that, he deserves all of the glory. Friends, this is to be the focus of our life, to glory God, to give glory to God. This is our chief end, and we do this, and we have opportunity to do this in everything in life. This is an amazing gift for the Christian. 
You see, both a Christian and non-Christian can walk an old lady across the street. But a non-Christian can't do it for the glory of God because a non-Christian does not know God. But we can do it for the glory of God because we know God. He says that we do it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we can do things. This is a great privilege. This makes everything in your life holy. There's no sacred and, and secular distinction. Everything is sacred, and it's an opportunity to give glory to God. Maybe you probably remember the movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Little is a Christian missionary. He's training to go be a missionary in China, and he's debating whether or not to go run in the Olympics, and his sister Jeannie thinks, if you really want to glorify God, Eric, you should go be a missionary. Forget about this sports thing. Like, there's no way to glorify God in that. Go be a missionary. That's the best way to glorify God. And then in one scene, he says to Jeannie this. He says, I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service has accepted me. And she responds, oh, Eric, oh, I'm so pleased. But then Eric continues and he says, but I've got a lot of running to do first. Jeannie, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. What Eric understood that Jeannie did not is that everything is life is an opportunity to give glory to God. I know a lot of you kids in here are playing soccer now. Did you know that that is an opportunity to glorify God? to praise him, to worship him, to enjoy him as the giver of all of your mechanical gifts, of the grass that you run on, of the air that you breathe, of the joy of scoring a goal. When all of these things point to God, we glorify God. I'll be honest, I forget often that everything is sacred. I forget this when I'm sweeping the garage, when I'm parenting, when pipes burst in my basement, Friends, all of these are sacred moments. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink, very mundane things, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Nothing is ordinary. Everything is sacred. Do it for the glory of God. This is Paul's end goal. This is the Roman church's end goal. This should be yours and mine as well, to do everything for the glory of God. Let me end with this. A couple years ago, uh, we got a new used minivan, and it had a DVD player in it. And so it was so exciting because we thought, okay, now we can go on long trips, trustworthy vehicle. This is solving all of our problems. It's great. We were so excited about it that I picked up the family, and we decided to go to Culver's in Appleton just so we could drive in the new car. And it had the new car smell. And we picked up a DVD from Redbox. And, ooh, look, it works. And sound comes from the speaker. This is great. Before, I had to, like, hook up my laptop between the two headrests of the front. But now it's just, it's right there in the ceiling. It's wonderful. But you know what? Our, our new van has just become our van. <laughs> it's nothing that special anymore. I mean, the air conditioning broke down. We got it fixed. The lug nuts fall off when we're on the highway. That's scary, right? I mean, it's happened twice. So we have our, our wrench up front just to make sure that it's, it's tight. See, this new van gospel had a shelf life. 
Every gospel has a shelf life except God's gospel. It is the only gospel that satisfies for all eternity. For what other gospel is the mystery of God revealed? What other God is the instrument of God's power for starting, sustaining, and finishing your salvation? What other gospel brings glory to God through Jesus Christ? God's gospel is the best gospel. The last word of this book is the word amen, which means truly. James Montgomery Boyce comments on it in this way. By the way, if, you, if you're looking for a commentator, James Montgomery Boyce is excellent. I recommend him to you. But he says this. He says, there is much in this world that I do not understand. Amen? <laughs> there is much even about the ways of God that I do not understand. But what I do understand, I believe. And to God's declaration of these eternal truths, I say a hearty amen. And then he starts quoting through the book of Romans. Romans 3.10, there is no unrighteous, not even one. Amen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, there are a lot of false gospels out there, but there is only one true gospel. And when we wake up every morning, may we say, this is my gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gift of the book of Romans. There is so much there, and yet it all points to the gospel. It all points to the cross. It all points to the resurrection. It all points to your great love for us, your children, who you have rescued and brought to yourself. And so we end this book of Romans by saying, amen. Glory be to God, the only God, the only wise God, the creator and the accomplisher of the gospel for our salvation, for our joy, for all eternity. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.